But this morning, I want to tell you a story about a guy called John. Any Johns in the place? Maybe you might be similar to this John. He was, he was born in 1725, and John was an absolute mess. This guy was the, like, just an absolute mess. He actually worked on a ship, and he was hated by all of his shipmates. Like, not one single shipmate really liked him. They say that he was a wild, raging drunk and was incredibly violent, and he was so bad that the nickname they gave him was the Great Blasphemer. <laughs> it's a nice nickname to have, isn't it? You know, I thought some of mine were bad, but that's pretty bad. Um, if you've ever heard the saying, swears like a sailor, that was probably this John that it was after. In fact, his, his captain said that not only did John use the worst language he had ever heard, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. Now, debauchery is like just full-on, going crazy, uninhabited kind of sin. Like, like, he's created new words that are like beyond just words. It's like massively bad. In fact, he was so hated by his shipmates, at one time he fell overboard on the boat, and rather than his shipmates throwing him lifesavers, they started throwing harpoons at him. You know you're not liked when you fall overboard on a ship and rather than save you, they're trying to harpoon you. Like, this is not a nice guy, right? He was so arrogant and rebellious that his captain got so frustrated with him that one time he, he couldn't take it anymore, so he had John stripped naked, flogged him eight dozen times in front of the 350 men on board the boat. And John was so furious at what the captain had done, he decided that he was going to murder the captain and then take his own life. But before he could execute his plan, a massive storm, huge storm blew up. And it started hitting the ship and everyone on board the ship thought they were going to die. Now when a sailor thinks that they're going to die, it's a, it's a bad storm, right? The sailors have seen plenty of storms. His best friend who was standing beside him got blown off the ship, never to be seen again. And John is thinking in this time that his life is over, that this is, this is it. And in the moment of his greatest trial and his deepest fear, he cried out to God, the God that he had blasphemed. Remember, his nickname was the Great Blasphemer. The God that he had blasphemed, he called out to, and he said, Lord, have mercy on us. After he survived that brutal storm, he realized that in the moment of his greatest desperation, he actually called on a God that he had been hating. So he wondered, maybe, maybe, is there something there? And so this guy named John Newton started reading the scriptures and was transformed by the grace of God. And in 1772, he put pen to paper and wrote the lyrics of the hymn we just sung, Amazing Grace. And so that song carries the weight of a story of a man known as the great blasphemer who experienced the amazing grace of God and wrote these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, 
but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And so I wanna to talk to you today about the amazing grace of God, but if I'm honest with you, which I like to think I am most of the time, I feel completely and totally inadequate to do justice to the truly powerful, unfathomable, amazing grace of God. But I'm gonna give it a shot. And we're gonna look at Exodus, oh, not Exodus, Ephesians chapter two, because Ephesians chapter two is Paul, the apostle's chapter on grace. It's what he talks about. And, and if you look at that chapter, there's, there's three basically themes. If you could sum up that entire chapter in three basic scenes, uh, themes, it would be this. You were, but God, by grace. You were, but God, by grace. He shows us what we were, and if you're a follower of Christ, you were not today what you once were before. Are you hearing me? And then he shows that there's another theme called, but God. You were one thing, but God intervened. You were going in one direction, but God intervened. And then he shows us how God intervened, and God intervened by his grace. And so basically, he says in this chapter, you were, you were, but God, by grace. You were one thing, but you're no longer that thing if you were in Christ because you had a but God moment. You had an encounter with God moment and it's only by the grace of God, not by your power, not by your works, not by your great personality, not by your goodness, not by all the things that you have done, but you were, but you're not now, because of a but God moment, you've been transformed by grace. And my prayer for you today is if you've never had a but God moment, I'm praying that you'll have a but God moment, where you experience the grace of God in such a way that it transforms your life. I must have listened to this hymn this week probably 50 times this week trying to get it in here and trying to understand the, the amazingness of these lyrics and the amazingness of God's grace. And, but I'm gonna probably let Paul tell us because I think he's probably does a better job. So in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, he says this, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been transformed. You are now not what you once were. You're now forgiven, you're now new, you were dead in your sins, but now you're alive in God. Come on, you should be excited about that. Yeah. He goes on in verse three of Ephesians and he says, and all of us also lived amongst, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. In other words, just doing whatever we wanted, giving into every, every desire that we had, just doing whatever we wanted, and following its desires and thoughts. And we don't like some of these scriptures, but hang in there. We, it's going to be good by the end, okay? Trust me. Like the rest, you were by nature deserving of wrath. 
So God is, Paul is saying here, you were this. You, you, were, you were a sinner. You were filled with transgressions. You just cave into every lust of the flesh. You were actually deserving of the wrath of God. How many people think this sounds like a really positive message so far? If you are without Christ, if you've never invited Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, if you are without him, you are dead in your sins. And the Bible actually teaches us that when we are, have not given our lives to Christ, when we're dead in our sins, that we are deserving of wrath. We've been called enemies of God because of our sinful nature. And I understand that this is really not popular in today's culture. It's really not popular in today's culture because, you know, but we have to understand uh, because there's a lot of people who would push back on that, right? There's a lot of people that push back on that. You can't, you can't tell me on that. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good person. You don't have a right to call me a sinner. I'm not a bad person. I have a good heart. I'm not nearly as bad as everyone else. I'm not a bad person. And this is the problem, right? When we come to this kind of scenario is that we say things like, at least I'm not as bad as... At least I'm not as bad a husband as, or as bad a wife as, or as bad a kids as. And what we do is we justify our state of sinfulness by measuring it against somebody that we consider to be more sinful. And somehow that makes our sin okay because I'm, I'm here in my sin where Rim is here in his sin. I'm sorry, if you're laughing, would you rather I picked on you this morning? And so we justify where we are based on where somebody else is. And that makes us feel better about ourselves, right? I could imagine if you were on the boat with John Newton, you'd be like, I'm a saint. <laughs> Compared to him. But sin is sin. God doesn't have levels of sin. It's not like lies are down here, you know, murder's way up here. No, no, sin is just sin. I know it's not popular to say that, but you say, but I'm a good person. But if you don't know Christ, you're not. In fact, even if you do know Christ, we're still not. You're a bad person and so am I. And the reason why I can say that is because the scripture teaches us that we're born and by nature, we're actually born sinners. We come into the world as sinners because we're sons and daughters of sinners. All the way back to Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, we inherit what the Bible calls a sinful nature. And so by nature, we are not good. We are deserving wrath. That's the reality. That's you were, state that we are in. So let me put it this way, just in case some of you think that you're not that bad. How many, how many people here, lift up your hand if you've ever told a lie? Everyone, put up your hand if you've ever told a lie. If somebody hasn't got their hand up, they just lied. All right? Because if I know anything about parenting, is you never have to teach your children how to lie, do you? You never have to sit down and go, kids, now this is how you lie. It's natural, right? Are you hearing me? How many people have stolen something? Work pens, come on, BNZ bank pens, 
Come on, you got them at home, haven't you? You got them in your little container at home, BNZ pens, all sorts of pens from different companies. You stole them. So if you've told a lie and you've stolen something, what does that make you? I'm here to tell you this morning. I'll tell you what you are. You are a lying, thieving sinner. (laughs) Welcome to Revive Church. Happy Sunday. Here's the thing. The reason why I say all that is, is because we need to understand this key principle this morning is that if we don't see ourselves as a sinner, we'll never see our need for a saviour. If we don't see ourselves as a sinner, we'll never see our need for a saviour. And so we have to understand that we're sinners and that we have a sinful nature and that we need a saviour. See, the good news is this, is that Jesus didn't come for the righteous people. Jesus didn't come for the people that had it all together, right? Jesus, the Bible says, it says that he came for the sinners. He didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for those who were sick. He didn't come for those who had it all together. Jesus came for those of us who are broken, hurting, and need spiritual cleansing and healing. He came to set the sinners free. So it's okay if you're a sinner. You're in the right place at the right time, and you're ready for a but God moment, because that's why God came. He came not to try and find good people. He came to find you and I. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to find people that were dead in their sins and make them alive in Christ. That's why he came. That's what he's here for. It's, it's okay. You don't have to beat yourself up for being a sinner. You should actually just put your hand up and go, whoa, I'm a candidate for the grace, mercy, and goodness of God and forgiveness of God. It's not a bad thing unless you decide that you don't want a saviour. Then it's not good for you. But Jesus isn't angry. Jesus isn't upset with you. He came for the broken. He came for that very reason. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, you were but God by grace. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that I'm not you were anymore because I had a but God moment and now by grace I live this life. You know, Paul is interesting that he speaks on grace because Paul, if you've read your Bible, which I I recommend, um, more often than at Easter and Christmas, just putting that out there, um, that was just a joke, okay? Don't, I can see some, it's all right, we're all good, we're happy, love you. Paul, Paul was a murderer. Paul, before he found God, he, he, he lived to go around murdering Christians. This this guy who wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament before he was a follower of Christ, he hated Christians so much, he just went around looking to kill them. And in fact, if you read this story in the book of Acts of how, um, oh, his name's gone out of my head now. Stephen has been stoned to death. Paul is the one that's got Stephen's clothes at his feet telling everyone to stone him. Paul was there. Paul was the one encouraging it. Paul's the one that's saying, stone him, stone him, stone him. Paul was the worst of sinners. It, it'd be, 
What Paul literally did would be the same thing that we see today where people are kidnapped and taken away and they are asked to renounce Christ and if they don't renounce Christ, they take out a machete and lob their heads off and kill them, which happens in our world today. This is what Paul was doing back in those days. He would take people that were Christians, he'd put them in the middle of a whole lot of other people, he would tell all those other people to pick up stones, and he'd tell them to stone them to death. And stoning someone to death is a slow, brutal agony that takes over hours before that person takes their last breath. That's what Paul did. That's who he was. You were, that's who he was. Could you imagine being able to sit down with Paul and, and he tells you his story. He tells you what happened to him. He tells you how he was the guy that went around killing all the Christians and that he hated them. And, and then one day he's on his way to see the high priest because he has this incredible idea of how they can murder more Christians. And on his way to see the high priest, next minute, boom, and this light from heaven comes upon him, knocks him off his horse, and now he's blind. And he hears a voice that says, Paul, or Saul at the time, why do you persecute me? And, and Paul knew that this was God, right? He knew that God was speaking to him at the moment because he said, are you Lord? Is this you, Lord? And then the voice tells him, you need to go and find a guy called Ananias. Ananias was a Christian. Ananias was one of the people that Paul, five minutes before this happened, would have wanted to see dead. A man who should have hated him. Can you imagine Paul telling the story? God told me to go and see this guy called Ananias, a man who should have hated me, a man who should have feared me, but instead of cursing me, this man loved me. And even though I deserved nothing but persecution back, this man laid hands on me and prayed for me. And when he did, something like scales fell from my eyes and suddenly I could see again. I was blind, but now I could see. And by the grace of God, this man baptized me in water and prophesied into my life and told me, Paul, you were once one who killed Christians, but now God is calling you to go and declare the resurrection power of God. God, and to those that you, that you used to persecute and hate are the ones now that you are going to minister to. I was dead. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I was the most brutal of sinners. But God, who is rich in his mercy, I was, but God, now I'm this. You were, but God, by his grace. I was a murderer, but God, now I'm an apostle who leads people to Christ. I just think it's amazing. I don't know if, if this stirs you or not, but when I think about you were, but God, and now I'm not. 
oh, but, but, but sometimes I slip back to who I were. Yeah, sometimes we do slip back to you were. But here's the cool thing. By God, and now you're not. But, but I lost my temper and I, I were, yeah. But, but God, and now you're not. You see, it's not a but God once, it's but God every day, every week, every month, every year. It's always but God, it's always, but, it's always His grace coming after you all the time. You were, but God, now you're not. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says this in the NLT, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. He gave us life. Hear this. He gave us life when he raised God from the, raised Jesus from the dead. When, when did he give you life? Let me ask that again because some of you seem a bit confused. It's, it's up there on the screen. When did he give you life? Even though you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your sins, while you were still here, even before you were born, even before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, even before all of that, when Christ died on the cross, when he died, he gave us life then, even though we ignored it, even though we refused it, even though we didn't even know it existed. God didn't wait for me to make a decision that goes, oh, you must be God. And then his grace came. No, no, his grace has always been there, always waiting from the moment he died until today. His grace has always been sufficient for you and I. We just have to turn around and go, whoa, I don't wanna be here anymore. But God, by grace, I'm moving to another place. You don't have to do anything over here. You don't have to clean up your life over here. You don't have to get your act together over here. You just have to say, I want a but God moment so that I can step into grace. That's it. Are you hearing me? Even though you were dead because of your sins, God gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was hanging on a cross, suffering brutally as the creation that he made mocked the creator with a crown of thorns and his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. And in that moment, Jesus cries out to his father and he says, please forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. And so, but God, rather than bringing down destruction upon the world because they had killed his son. But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us so much that he then looked up into heaven and he declared, it is finished. It's done. I did everything you sent me to do, Father. Now, Father, into your hands, Jesus said, I commit 
my spirit, and he breathed his last, and he gave his life. Why? Because no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friends. It wasn't sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and I that nailed him to the cross. And at that moment, the Bible says that the earth went dark and the earth crumbled and shook and the disciples and all those who were followers looked on, probably wondering, what is going on here? What's going to happen? They take him down off the cross and he goes into a tomb and one day has gone, two days are gone. Then all of a sudden on day three, as two women decide to go to the tomb where he was laid and they rock up and they find the stone has been rolled away and there's angelic beings sitting on the rock. And they say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. Christ has risen from the dead. You were, but God, because of his rich mercy, loved us so much, forgave our sins and changed our lives when he raised Christ from the dead. He could have left us wallowing in that, who is rich in mercy. Goes on in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight to nine, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves or from ourselves or yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so anyone can boast. In other words, he's saying this, he goes, here, ha have have this grace, have this forgiveness, have this, but, but, but you don't understand, I'm, this, is, this, is, this is who I am, yeah, but have this, have this gift, have this gift so you don't have to be who you were, but you can have but God by grace. You were but God by grace, you were but God by grace, you were but God by grace, not by works, but by grace. Not by religion, but by grace. Not by human efforts, but by grace. Not by your perfection, but by grace. You were, but God, by grace. One time Jesus comes across this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery and, and according to the law at the time, she should have been stoned to death because of what she was doing and all these people were standing around ready to stone her to death and we know the story that Jesus goes down on the ground and he starts writing with his finger in the dirt. Nobody knows what he wrote, but one after the other, as Jesus is writing in the dirt, one after the other dropped their stones and left until it was just her and Jesus, and Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And she goes, they're not here, they've gone, they're, they've left. And he says, I don't accuse you either. And he knelt down before this broken and sinful woman and he said, man, your accusers are gone. I don't accuse you. She looks at him probably through tears in her eyes and fear. And she's saying, my accusers are gone, they're, they're not here anymore. And he goes, and I don't accuse you either, because Jesus then said, by grace, he said to her, then go on your way, 
be free and sin no more. You were, but God, now by grace. You were deserving of death, but God, now go live your life free from sin. There's another story that Jesus talks about, about a father who had two sons. And one of the sons comes to him and says, I want all my inheritance now and I'm just, I, I want it now. Give it to me now, give it to me now. And he gives it to him and the son leaves the father's house and, and the son ends up going and, and just living a crazy, crazy life and spending all of his money and, and, and doing all sorts of things that he shouldn't have done. All sorts of stuff that he shouldn't have done. And, then, and he finds himself working in a pig pen and, and, and the Bible says that when he came to himself, in other words, when he had a realisation that this is not who I should be, he thought to himself, even the servants in my father's house get treated better than this, so I'm going to go back to my father and hopefully he would have enough mercy on me that I can at least be a servant in his house. I'm going to go back and I'm going to throw myself on my father's mercy. But what he didn't realise is the father, every single day that he was away living a life that he shouldn't have been living, every single day the father was always looking, always waiting for his son to come home. And when he sees him afar off, the father runs to him. He doesn't wait for the son to come to him. Sometimes we're like, oh, I've got to get myself together and then I can have a but God moment. But no, 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 God can see you in this moment right here and he can reach in and come after you and you can have a but God moment right there in the middle of the stuff that's going on in your life because he's always looking to, for his sons and his daughters and those that he can run to. And the father saw him a long way off and he ran to him and listen what he did. He took his nice clean robe off himself and he put his robe over the filth of his son's life. And that's what Jesus did when it said that he gave us robes of righteousness as he covered up our filth with his life. But God, by grace, his son was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but he is found by grace. And the father said, let's kill the fatted calf and let's throw a party because my son once was, but God, by grace, he's now home. And the son didn't have to pay recompense for the way that he lived, but the son was reinstituted back into the place of sonship without having to do a single thing or pay a single price for the life that he had been living. Sometimes we think that if we're gonna come back to God, if we've been away from God, that somehow there's gotta be some consequences and some punishments and, and it's like, God's like, hey, I'm really glad that you're back. I'm really glad that you've recommitted your life to me, but you know, you're grounded for the next three weeks. Or no internet for you for a month. That's not God. You were, but God, now by grace. Instant reinstatement. That's the awesomeness of the grace 
of God. Maybe if you could jump on the keys, it would be awesome. Jesus hung on a cross between two criminals. One of those criminals insults him and says to him, you've saved others, how about you save yourself? But the other one who was very guilty, both these men were guilty. Both these men deserved what they were getting. Looked on and said, Jesus has done nothing wrong, leave him alone. Jesus looks at this man who is guilty and deserving of the punishment that he was suffering. Jesus looks at him. This man who couldn't do any good works, this man who couldn't join a church, this man who couldn't go to a connect group, this man who couldn't serve on a team, this man who couldn't get baptised, this man who couldn't give, this man that couldn't do any good works, he was hanging, he was dying, he was on a cross. He looked at that man who could do no type of religious work, who was completely and totally guilty and deserving of what he was suffering. Jesus looks at him and goes, but God, by grace, today you will be with me in paradise. This man who was hanging on the cross, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't, he couldn't do all this stuff. He couldn't do the New Christians program and he couldn't do all this other stuff. He, could, he couldn't get his life together. He was dying. He had done nothing other than it was the grace of God that reached out to him and took him from someone who was about to die on a cross and go to hell to somebody who has died on a cross and spends eternity in paradise with him. You were... But God, by grace, why don't you all stand to your feet? We'll get the rest of the musicians and singers up. I want you to hear this today. Some of you, some of you are here because you were dead in your sins. You were hurting, you were broken but you've been changed by the grace of God. Not by anything you've done, but just by His awesome grace. Or maybe you're here because at this moment in your life, you recognise that there's something missing in your life and you're desperate for something more. You're, you're desperate for a but God moment. Maybe you've followed God for a long time and you're desperate for a but God moment. And I wanna tell you this morning, in one moment, one Saviour can change everything. In one moment, one Saviour can change everything. When you call on the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, He hears your prayers, He forgives your sins, He makes you right with God, not because of your works, but by His grace. Why? Because you were but God now by grace, by grace. John Newton wrote this, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far, this grace will lead me home. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
I was blind, but now I see. It's always been grace. It's always been grace. Come on, just close your eyes just for a moment. Every single person in this place. It's always been the grace of God. I I don't think I've experienced the grace of God. If you were, but now you're not, it's the grace of God. It's always been His grace. And I don't know everybody in this room and we'll flick the lights off so you're not worrying about people looking at you, but I don't know everybody in this room, but I know this, I know this, I know there are people in this room that need a but God moment, they need to experience His grace. You're hurt, you're broken. Maybe even it's the church that's hurt you. Maybe it's family that's hurt you. Maybe your, your friends have hurt you. I, I wanna tell you this, God's never hurt you, God never will hurt you. You need but God. You need a moment where He can come by His grace and His mercy. But God, who's rich in mercy, gave you the gift of grace. The thing about gifts is they never have an impact until we receive them. And I just wonder if there are people in this place this morning and you're like, man, I I really need to receive that gift of grace this morning upon my life. I, I need a but God moment. I need a but God moment. I want to tell you that as I was in my office praying, I just felt God say, he, he, it's, it's like I got a picture of Him standing here behind me on the stage. And it's like His arms were open and it's just like this river of grace was just pouring out of His life. And He's saying, this is what I want to do in people's lives today, but not just today. It's like He wants that river to be flowing in and through you every single day of your life. And if you're here today where no one is looking around and you're like, Craig, would you pray for me that that grace that you've been talking about, that that I would experience this amazing grace, that I'd have a but God moment. I've been struggling with who I am, but I know if I have a but God moment, I can become who I I should be. Or maybe you're here today and you're just broken and you're hurt and you're wounded. And you're like, man, I need the grace of God to come and heal and soothe over all my hurts. Well, nobody's looking around. Why don't you, in this moment, why don't you just just say, Craig, that's me. Lift up your hand right now. If that's you, if you're like, man, I need a but God moment. I need the grace of God in my life today. Lift up your hand right now.